0: Good evening, welcome back to week two of our 30-day Gimel Tammuz, Ha'chon Gimel Tammuz, Yortzeit. We started this on Gimel Sivan, 30 days before the Yortzeit. This is week number two. Um, before we begin, I want to mention that tonight's shiur is V'chus el-Refua Shlema, Harav HaGon, Reb ben Dvira. And B'ashkoch HaProtis, tonight's letter, is written to Harav HaGon Reb Meisha Ben-Dvaira. We planned this weeks ago. We compiled letters that are connected to a theme. The theme of hiskashras, befitting uh, the theme of of Kimmel And we chose this letter based on its content. And then just a couple of days ago, I found out that the one to whom this letter was written is in the hospital and is in need of our prayers. So we want to have in mind, again, the name is Horavagon Reb ben Dvira for Rufuah Shlema. And uh, the learning tonight should be in his merit. You should have a speedy, full, complete uh, healing. Now, who is Meisha ben Dvira? I will tell you. Ravagon Reb Meisha Sternbuch Shlita is a great leader and Talmud Chacham. He is the leader of the Eidah Hacharedis community in Yerushalayim Yerakodesh in Eretz Yerakodesh, and he's originally from London, England. The letter we're going to read tonight, which the Rebbe wrote to Rav Sternbuch was written by Rav Sternbuch when he was in London, and in fact, involves an incident which took place in London. Uh, a little bit of background, just so you know, that as a young child, Rav Sternbuch was already recognized as a, an ilui, as a, a prodigy by many Gedele Yisrael, including Rav Dessler, who, as we know, lived in England. And interestingly, during World War II, when the Nazis were bombing London, the Sternbuch family moved to a relatively safer location in the countryside, and there they shared an apartment or a a room with Rav Dessler, who recognized the great potential of of their son, Moshe. Uh, At one point during the war, there was such danger that Rabbi Sternbuch's mother, Dvoira, we mentioned her name, wanted to send him out of the country. There was a boat leaving England to go, I think, to Canada. And uh, she asked another one of the uh, G'dayli Yisro who were in England at that time during the, the war era, uh, the uh, great Kelmer Bal Hamusser, Reb Elia, Reb Elia Lopian. And uh, Mrs. Sternbuch asked Reb Elia, should they send young Meshele on the ship to escape with the other children? And he said he wanted to perform something known as a goyrel Hagro. It's a form of asking for answers through a book opening a, a book, random, randomly, but of course nothing is random, everything is by pratis and uh, finding an answer. And at any rate, there are many preparations required to do the goyro properly, including fasting, and Rebbe Elia was not able to perform the preparations to his satisfaction, so he apologized to Mrs. Sternbuch, he said, I can't give you an answer, I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you, in a case like this, when in doubt, just do nothing. So they did not send young Moshe on the ship. And unfortunately for those who were on the ship, the ship sunk and many hundreds of children were lost at sea. Tragically. So uh, that is how fate intervened to preserve the life of a young Rav Moshe Sternbach. Later on, as he grew, he learned in yeshivas and in Israel, and he was very close with the brisker, with the rebvel brisker, as well as with the chazen ish. And later on, he held rabbinic positions in various places. Interestingly, he spent a few years in the 80s in Johannesburg, South Africa, and uh, later he. Came back to Ertisro. He spent many years building a community for Yemenite Jewry and uh sort of avoided the limelight when he could have uh, lived in Nebrak. and he was sought out to be uh to be a leader in in a Teira and he chose, he opted to uh, to lend his leadership skills to empowering a disenfranchised community and uh, he built a community in Rosh Ha'ayin for uh, Yemenite Jews. Uh, of course he, he, he ended up in Yerushalayim and that's where he is now uh, as a leader of the Eid Haredis community. The Eid Ha-Haredis, of course is a very old organization it goes back well be- before the, the state of Israel. Um, it was originally founded by the, the chief rabbi of Jerusalem, Harav Yosef Chaim Sonnenfeld. And uh, today, Harav Sternbuch is the leader of that organization. And again, as we mentioned, Hashem should send him a speedy, complete refua. And tonight's learning should be in, in his merit. The letter begins. Let's look inside the text. And you can go to the 30 Letters 30 Days website or to the Soul Words website to get access to the PDF. If you're watching on YouTube or elsewhere, uh, you don't have the PDF, or if you are listening on podcast platforms, uh, you also don't have that option. But if you go to the 30, day, 30 Days Thirty Letters 30 Days website or the Soul Words website, you can uh, download the PDF. Baruch Hashem... Yud Aleph Nissen, Tovshin Yud Gimel, Brooklyn, Shalom Uvracha. Okay, before we've even gotten into the body of the letter, there's something quite significant here, and that is Yud Aleph Nissen, the date. That's the Rebbe's birthday. Of course, you know that because uh, many of you learned with us the 30 day preparation, 30 letters in 30 days, up till Yud Aleph Nissen, which is the Rebbe's birthday. Um, why is it important that this letter is dated Yud Aleph Nissen? I'll tell you why. The Hayyim Yim of Gudolf Nissen. Hayyim Yim is a safer of uh, short little thoughts on every single day of the calendar year. And there, the Rebbe mentions that a birthday is supposed to be spent in reflective solitude, in, in his Beitados, and introspection and stock taking. To the extent, I'll tell you a remarkable story, that the White House wanted to call the Rebbe to wish him well on his birthday. And the Rebbe actually told the Secretariat to decline the call from the president. I think the president was Carter at the time, uh, explaining that with the Rebbe's apologies, he cannot take the call because a birthday is supposed to be spent in in reflection and and contemplation. So <laughs> that Rebbe that Rebbe declined a call from the White House on his birthday because a birthday is such a precious and special time. In in many ways, a birthday is compared to a personal Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the birthday of the world. A person's personal birthday is like a mini Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, of course, is a day where every single moment and second is precious. And a birthday is similar. So at any rate, what does that tell you? That the Rebbe took time. The Rebbe's time was always precious, but especially on Yud Aleph Nissen, on his birthday, the Rebbe took time to write this letter to Rav Sternbuch Obviously, that uh, is a is a testimony to the importance of this communication, and uh, is a great uh, honor to the to the recipient to be to be uh, the recipient of a letter that Eber wrote on such a such a special day. Okay, al in answer to your letter from the 16th of Adar. So this is yud Nissen. I don't know how long it took the letter to get from London to New York, but uh, however long it was, we're talking about now uh, three weeks later that the is writing back. Bei Moer al Dvar Nussach has mono shekibo moharava chosset avossic ve chosset, e shirel akim, nich but venaila, oisic bits or hitzibr, chulum reno arab bencien, she yichya shemtav, shadar. In your letter, you inquire about the text, the wording of the bar mitzvah invitation that you received from. The great, illustrious, with all the titles, Reb Benzion Shamtov. The Rebbe gives him the title Shadar at the end, which is Shlucha derabbanon, which means a shliach of the Rebbe. And uh, Reb was a Shadar in England at that time. In this event, that uh, the letters about, meaning the bar mitzvah celebration, took place in London. Now. The date of the bar mitzvah, I have the invitation. Actually, I'm going to pull it up and show it to you. Um, let me see if I can do this right. I'm, uh, let me see. Yeah, okay. So there's the bar mitzvah invitation. And you can see that the date, you see under the name where it says Yisroel. Yisrael is the name of the Bar Mitzvah boy. People might know uh, Yisrael Shamtov in Crown Heights. So under the name Yisrael, it says, Shetir Yom Yitzvah Hashem base B'yayim Beis Tesvav Adar. The Bar Mitzvah celebration is going to be, God willing, in an auspicious time, on Monday the 15th of Adar. Let me see if I can... Okay. So that one's smoother than I had even anticipated. <laughs> you don't know how much <laughs> you don't know how much uh Hollywood magic went into just pushing those buttons and making that uh, image go up. Um so at any rate, what what what, what am I saying here? Rabben Shishamtav made a bar mitzvah for his son Yisro, one of his four sons. Um And the Bar Mitzvah was on Tes Vav other. Rav Sternbuch wrote a letter to the Rebbe on Tes Zion. So it means that Rav Sternbuch wrote the letter the day after the Bar Mitzvah. Now presumably he received the invitation well in advance of the Bar Mitzvah, but apparently he wrote the letter after the Bar Mitzvah. I don't know the background. I don't know exactly what happened. I'm assuming, I could be completely wrong, this is complete conjecture, that Rav Sternbuch maybe mentioned to Rebensheh his concern about the text. What's the concern? We didn't get into it yet. And perhaps Rebensheh told him, no, if (laughs) you have questions, ask the Rebbe. Um, That's just my, my fan theory. But at any rate, what we do know is Rav Sternbuch's letter to the Rebbe is dated the day after the Bar Mitzvah, Took place. Okay. So the Rebbe says, I got your letter where you're asking about the text of the invitation that the Shem Tov sent out about their son Yisrael's bar mitzvah. Ashe Hanau, that the aforementioned person, meaning Rebbe Enche, Mizbarich was blessing or expressing prayerful wishes that his son, the Bar Mitzvah boy, should be, God-fearing, pious, and studious, scholarly, those are the operative words here, in accordance with my intention and my desire, meaning, my, meaning the Rebbe, The Rebbe is speaking about himself, uncharacteristically, by the way. The Rebbe would use the first person very sparingly. So this is an instance where the Rebbe uses the first person. Okay, let's take a look at the the invitation again. I'm just going to pull that up again. Um, Okay, you see here. So under, on the bottom part... Like under the English, you see the English line where it gives the address, 69 Lordship Road, London. So it says, Nivakish, we are requesting, Eskrevenu, Mudenu, Lovoi, that our friends and relatives, our relatives and friends should come, Lishtatif, Bismchasenu, to participate in our joyous occasion. Ulavarech and to bless ashabar Mitzvah, the bar mitzvah boy, Shia that he should be, Yere Shamaim Chosid Velamdin, God fearing and pious and scholarly, Kifi Kavonas Verotzin Hakodish Shell Kvaid Kedushis Admirito, according to the Kavana, the intention and the Rotsein, the desire, the, actually it says HaKadosh, the holy intention and desire of the Rebbe. Those are the words that Rav Sternbuch is uncomfortable with. kavonas okay? HaKadosh shal Kveid Ad Morshlita So, the Rebbe writes exactly those words. Except the Rebbe changes it to be in first person. Kavonasi, Ritseini, my kavona and my Ratze. So he's asking. Meaning the letter writer, Rav Sternbach, is asking. It's troubling him. Mahu What is the meaning? Why are you connecting the wishes of a Jew, meaning Reb wishes for his son, as well as the the guests of the bar mitzvah, their wishes that they are bestowing upon uh, the bar mitzvah boy, why are you connecting that with the Kavana and the ratzin, the the intention and the desire of a human of flesh and blood, of a mortal human being, a boss of adam, flesh and blood, meaning to say. I'll fill it in. I mean, what it doesn't say. You could invite people to come to the bar mitzvah. I mean, this this is the, this is the, what do you call it? The, the proposed, suggested alternative. You can invite people to come to your your son's bar mitzvah and to bless your son. Um, but say, and to be, well, you could saying Hashem, according to the will of Hashem, or something, you know, words to that effect, whatever. Why are you saying in accordance with the kavonah and the ratzain of a human being? Just seems like a little bit much that you're, Giving all of this weight to a person's understanding of the blessings. Like, why are you. Uh, <laughs> maybe I'll put, I'll put it this way. Even if Rabensha had said that this was his um, intention, that according to what he understood from the Rebbe, how he had learned it from the Rebbe. This is what he wanted for his child. But the Rebent is saying, I'm not even sure what... Mean. He's not literally saying, but this is how Rav Sternbuch is taking it. Rebent is saying, I, you know what? I don't know what these words mean. It's not even important for me to know what these words mean. Whatever the Rebbe thinks they mean, that's what I want my son to be. And it's bothering Rav Sternbuch. Okay? So, let's... Let's look at the answer here. Let's look at this reply. And remember who this letter is to. This is to a great scholar. So obviously, the response is going to be in accordance with that. Hine Yidua, the Tfila It is known. That prayer is the service of the heart. Like I say just say Tainus base Amid the very beginning of Gemara Tainus. What do they say over there? They say Ula day which are words from Chomish from Sefer Dvarim. Uh, you should serve Hashem with all of your heart or hearts, plural. What does that mean? Serving Hashem with your heart. The Gemara explains what type of serving Hashem takes place in the heart. And the you should say, meaning the correct answer is davening prayer. So prayer is called Aveda Okay. Interestingly, although it's called Aveda service from the heart or in the heart, it also needs to be articulated orally. You actually have to physically pronounce the words. That, of course, is something that's spoken about at length in Tanya Periglamid Ches map when it comes up yeah yeah you see those those chapters over there that are talking about uh, Kavona the intention being like the uh, soul of a mitzvah and the physicality the performance of it is like the body so in the case of tefillah where there's not a physical action but the oral articulation actually vibrating air on your five compartments of speech that's the action part of it so it has to be articulated orally. And by the way, it's not just in Tanya Periglam it's also a haloch, it's brought in Shechonorech in Simen uh, Kufalev in, kufalef, in uh, Sif Base. It speaks there that Tfila has to be pronounced. You actually have to say it with your mouth, even though it is a service of the heart. Okay. And consequently, you have to align your heart and your mouth. You have to get your heart and your mouth to be on the same page, as it were. So that the prayer should be effective. Okay, so far, so good. Now, we know you can... Deduce just from the, the text of the prayers, how detailed they are, that it's important for prayer to be detailed. It's not enough just to say a general prayer, to say, eh, whatever, whatever's good. No, you're supposed to be as particular and specific and explicit as possible. Mispalum Yud base That's why. We have the 12 blessings in between in the Shemineser, the 18 blessings of the Amidah, of the standing prayer. You have three blessings in the beginning, three at the end, the openers and the closers, but then you have the 12 in the middle, which are each one addressing very specific needs, material and spiritual needs. And we don't use a general or vague catch-all request and if you look even more closely even in the blessings themselves forget about the fact that each blessing is different and articulates a different request than every other blessing but look within the blessings themselves you can break it down even further that within a theme each blessing has its own theme but then it gets into particulars of that theme So <laughs> we see here the idea that tefillah is supposed to be specific. By the way, Bashkocha Pratis. Uh we just started the Rambam, Mishneh Torah, over again on Lag Boimer. And uh, so we just finished Sefer Hamada. Uh, what was it, yesterday, or two days ago? I can't remember. But uh, I can tell you that, yes, yeah, it must have been yesterday, because, yeah, no, was it yesterday? We finished the halachas. We know we finished, we got into Sefer Zmanim, that's right. And we finished Krishma. Krishma is the first uh, dinim in Zmanim. And then we started Tevilah. So yesterday, yeah, point. Yesterday we started Hilchas Tevilah. Just the the beginning, we just got started. But in Perik Aleph of Hilchas Tevilah, which was yesterday's Rambam, Ashkoch In uh, Halacha's base and Gimel and Dalit over there, it says a little bit of the history, and it says that really the mitzvah of prayer is that everyone is supposed to just be as articulate as they can be, and that for various reasons that no longer was possible, and people were not capable of being as articulate and specific as they were supposed to be. So the Anshei Knesset Zagdele put together Ezra, who brought the Jews back from uh, Bavel to Eretz he composed a a specific uh, prayer rite, a, a text. But just yesterday, Ram talks about this idea that really prayer is supposed to be a person if we only could do this uh, A person expressing himself As specifically And as articulately as possible So the Rebbe says here You see from the Nusach HaTvila That being specific is important It's important And it has to be It's not just enough to have those feelings You have to actually say it It's not enough that you have some vague sense of it in your heart, even though prayer is primarily Avedish Balev, you have to be able to find the right words to express those those feelings. It's interesting. Usually we speak about it the other way around. That the problem is that you know good words. you got a lot of pretty words, but who says your heart is aligned with those words? But it works the other way around as well. I mean, you have to... <laughs> You're, you're obligated to make it work both directions. Sometimes you have the feelings, but you're not really sure what words to say. And prayer is supposed to be an articulation of very specific feelings um, with, the right, with the right words for those feelings. Okay, so let's continue here. Um, Therefore, somebody who doesn't feel that he's capable of articulating himself adequately, he's not able to properly bring out what he needs to bring out, for whatever reason that it might be, it doesn't matter why it is, just that's the fact, But he thinks, in his estimation at least, that he's got a friend. I know a guy. I got a guy. This guy, he wants what's best for me. He has my best interests at heart. And he knows what I want. Yes sir, even more than I do, Yeser Miferrata more detailed than I know how to do it, va'amukka and more profoundly, more deeply than I can do it. So you know what? I'm gonna rely on that guy. Harehu manase filosai va kashay sh mispal shit smali be kasha se kifik fonosarots implaini. What he says is, I am hereby. Formulating that my prayer should be whatever my good friend, my dear friend, has for me. However, he's davening for me. That's my prayer. <laughs> so it's 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 interesting. There's no nusach from from the Anshe Knesset Zedela how to bless a bar mitzvah. way, it's very interesting, but we have written. It's been preserved the bar mitzvah blessing that Harav Dessler gave to Harav Sternbach in London, when Harav Sternbach himself was a bar mitzvah boy. So obviously there's a, there's a concept of somebody, a Talmud Chacham, who understands things properly, giving a bracha to a bar mitzvah boy, knowing how to, how to set up a bracha the right way. So the Rebbe is saying to Harav Sternbach, listen, the Rebbe wanted the best for his son. He knew he couldn't articulate it adequately. So he passed it over to me. He felt I could articulate it better than he could. You know, (laughs) as we say, (laughs) there's an expression for that. What he said, right? What's my answer? What he said. For the Yankees fans. I know there's uh, Yankees fans out there. Um. You ever heard about the antitrust hearing in Congress in the summer of 1958? There were uh there was an investigation regarding professional sports, specifically baseball, whether the major league was violating antitrust laws because basically it's a monopoly. I mean, what kind of competition do they have? Um so there was a there was a congressional hearing and the two representatives of professional baseball who came to, to, to Congress to testify were from the Yankees. The manager, Casey Stengel, and the player, the, uh, the Hall of Famer, Mickey Mantle. So uh, Casey was, Casey Stengel, the manager, he was, he was the first one to speak. And they asked him to explain why Major League Baseball is not a monopoly. So what transpired was an absolutely legendary rambling rant that was so convoluted and bizarre (laughs) that uh, not only was everyone in Congress absolutely cracking up, there are recordings of it, you hear just peals of laughter, but it became like this, this... in, it became enshrined, basically, as the most bizarre and hilarious rant that had ever been given over on the uh, on the floor of Congress. So, it, and it went on for forty five minutes. So, for forty five minutes, and Casey Stengel went, and he just he said things that had nothing to do with the hearings, and he told the story of his life and all types of weird personal anecdotes, and like nobody could follow. Now. Afterwards they say that maybe, just maybe, he was a genius. They say either he was an idiot or he was a genius because what happened is the answer was so convoluted (laughs) that it derailed the hearings and then nothing ever came of it. And so then there was no uh, antitrust action taken against Major League Baseball. So they say maybe he was dumb like a fox. Maybe Casey knew exactly what he was doing and he was purposely trying to make the answer as, uh, as confusing as possible. But at any rate, whether it was intentional or unintentional, Casey Stengel gave this absolutely rambling, bizarre rant for 45 minutes. 45 minutes. Anyway, at any rate, at the end of the whole rant, uh, one of the uh, members of Congress then turns to the second witness, who hadn't spoken yet, and he says, Mr. Mantle, what do you have to say about baseball and antitrust laws? And the famous answer, Mickey Mantle, the Mick, says, my views are about the same as Casey's. <laughs> and it, the the Congress just erupted in laughter because this guy just ranted for 45 minutes, and then they asked Mickey Mantle, and he says, my views are about the same as Casey's, whatever they were, Right. At any rate, what he said. So that was a humorous historical example of the, what he said uh, being invoked. But there's a real concept, which is Hashem has asked us to pray. And prayer doesn't just mean the prayer book that we read from three times a day. <clears throat> it means at any time of need And ideally I'm supposed to articulate my needs as, as eloquently as possible The problem is I don't have a text to read from When it comes to how to bless my son For his bar mitzvah So what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? If I know a God Who knows what I want And is able to express it Why can't I say you, you want to know my prayer? Here's my prayer. Whatever he says. <laughs> whatever the Leibovitz says, that's my prayer, okay? If I could come up with it on my own, I would. I can't. So I'm saying whatever the Deba says, that's my prayer. So that's uh, that's one answer. Now, uh, let's continue here. Umay tzim al derech zeh bekama The Rebbe says, there are many halachic examples of this principle. The Rebbe uses Tfila as the primary example, but the Rebbe says, we find many, many examples in halacha of this principle. Umayhem, and among them, Behater Iska, uh, an investment loan. A Iska is a very complicated procedure, which many people erroneously describe as a mechanism to allow one to loan with interest. God forbid that's not correct. You're not allowed to loan to a fellow Jew with interest, it's a mechanism that turns part of a loan into an investment, and based on the way that rabbinic law regards the difference between a deposit and a loan, it becomes possible for the recipient of the funds to pay back to the provider of the funds more money than was initially provided. But it's not interest. It's a, it's, it's a dividend on, a, on, a, on an investment. It's called a heter iska. And as I said, it's very complex. And it's important that it be done properly, otherwise, God forbid, it is loaning with interest, which is patently forbidden. Now, part of the point that I was about to make is precisely about how complex... The hetter iska is, and it has to be documented. It has to be written. You can't just say, "Oh yeah, we did a hetter iska." It has to be documented, and the documentation is what gives it its its authority, makes it permissible. iska. In a hatr iska, what do you write? Kitikun hazal. That this. Transaction is being done kitikun in accordance with the enactment of our sages. The case of Zaafilo Ama'ritz, and even an ignoramus who has no idea what that means, writes Kitikun Chazal. it helps. Halachically, this is a valid mechanism since this person says I'm hereby giving over my intention to whatever Chazal had in mind I have no idea how a Heter Yiska works, I, don't, I can't follow it I don't understand why the difference between a Pekodin and, 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 and a Halvo I, don't, I, I can't, can't keep up, but you know what <laughs> there are people who understand how a works. So when I'm doing this transaction with my friend, I'm doing it in accordance with the way it's understood by the people who understand how it works. And it halachically works. We don't sit the audits down and say to them, no, 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 buddy, you can't do this until until you understand. You're going to have to explain it to you. say it back to us. We don't care if he understands. As long as he says, however the proper understanding of it is, the way that it's understood by the people who do understand, that's what I'm understanding, or that's what I'm agreeing to, then it's halachically acceptable. So the Rebbe says that's a perfect example. In halacha, where it is completely valid, it holds weight, even in the most technical sense, for one person to say that my intention is whatever the intention of another person is. And that's what Bencha did. He said, I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to say my understanding of the brachas for bar mitzvah boy. I want it to be the Rebbe's intention. That's, that's what I'm comfortable with. Okay. Let's continue here. If you're looking on the PDF, we're on page three. Base. Point number two. And uh, it doesn't say Aleph, but I believe we're to understand that everything we read until now was Aleph, was point number one. Base, point number two. (laughs) Oedzeis Ashermia dea yetzeleva adim vatach bulais shala yetzahara shuuman godl hu uvallachul achod vachod lefi yonne ukamay mirazal shabbos kufhei base. Who can estimate just how tricky the Yetzahara is and what a craftsman the Yetzahara is and how the Yetzahara knows how to come to each person in the, the most crafty way, as it's explained in the Gemara in Shabbos, Dav Kuf Hei Beis. Okay, this is the second point. Ube therefore, being that the Yetzahara is very tricky, Levalbal he's going to seek out many ways to confuse somebody, trip him up. And be frad beis especially at a special time, at a propitious time, kishachayshish when he's concerned, the etzahare is concerned. She tiskabot tfilase she yeshmakim yaser that it shit, tiskabot tfilase that it's a special time where this person's prayer is more likely to be received. She yeshmakim yaser lachshish she aval So there's more of a concern on our part that the Yitzhahot is going to come and disrupt and try to mix in an ulterior motive into the person's request and prayer. Okay? In other words, the Yitzhahot is always doing his job. He's always working hard to mess us up. You know, when uh, Rav Naftali Meropshitz was a little boy, he was misbehaving. And his father said to him, why are you uh, misbehaving? He says, I can't help it, my Yitzhah doesn't leave me alone. So his father said, ah, you should talk, you should learn from your Yitzhah He's always doing his job. He never stops. He's always working. So too you. You got to always work. Never stop working. And the little boy says, Tati ain't a Mashal Demel and Nimshal. It's not an apt comparison. (laughs) He says, why not? (laughs) He says... Because the Yetzahara doesn't have a Yetzirah to try to get him not to do his job. <laughs> so the Yetzahara is always working, doing his job. And especially at an Esrat like a bar mitzvah, special life cycle event, a father wants the best for his child and he's going to, The Yitzhahot is worried this father is going to let forth a really powerful, heartfelt prayer for his boy. Yeah. So what's the Yitzhahot going to do? He's going to especially try (coughs) to uh, disrupt that prayer. The more those requests are distanced from material concerns, meaning the more lofty, the more spiritual the requests are. Like the, the requests that the father was making for his son, that he should be God-fearing. And not enough that he should be God-fearing, but he should be a din, Which means beyond the letter of the law. A shal, a yirei shamayim, meaning even more than a Yirei Shemayim. that even that is not enough. Oed, he adds, Lamden, that he should be scholarly, yirei that he should be a scholar who has access to the power of Torah, and he uses the power of Torah in his aforementioned being God-fearing and being pious beyond the letter of the law. Wow. He Teirah is powerful. Teirah is a Teirah of truth. And I think there's a typo here. Uh, in many versions it says Shechesed Amr Al Yivra, but it doesn't make sense. It should be Emis Amr Al Yivra, especially because it just said Teirah's Emis. and uh, it's a madrash. It's it's Chesed actually said Hashem should create the world. But Emes, the truth said, Hashem should not create the world, create man. Um it's a the rabba, breishis rabba. At any rate, um, so it should be Emes. So at any rate, the Deva says like this. There's a powerful prayer. There's a powerful potential for prayer that the Yetzirah just really... He's not going to let slide. He's going to come and mess with it. And especially when the father is being really lofty and asking for spiritual things, all spiritual things, not asking for material things. And he's really pushing it. He's, he wants the child should be God-fearing and not enough he's God-fearing. He should go beyond the letter of law and be a chosid. Not enough he should be God-fearing and a chassid, but he should have the power of Torah as a Torah scholar to do the the things that a God fearing pious person does, like wow, the Yitzchak is very threatened by that. so it's understood that what's the Yitzchak going to do? He's going to seek any means that he has, La to disrupt to disturb this prayer. Vim and if he can't mess up the speech, if he can't get the guy to say the wrong thing, he it's much more subtle. He'll get in there and he'll confuse him emotionally. What's he going to do? He's going to come start whispering to the father. Well, you know, maybe these blessings are a little bit too lofty. Maybe they're a little bit too unrealistic. Maybe they're a little bit too wild, you know? maybe you should bless your child that he should be comfortable, he should make a good living, that he should be successful materially. What about a little bit of that? You know, he doesn't have to be so extreme in the spiritual stuff. This is similar to what the Rambam writes in the end of Hilchus Tmura the Torah shall Adam understands a person's psychology, even the warped psychology of his own evil inclination. It talks about anuchas t'mura that a person uh, t'mura means to switch. That he want he makes he dedicates an animal as a sacrifice, and then he's like, Oh no no no, not that one. I want to switch it. So they, the the Torah penalizes him that. He can't switch it. And what happens instead is that both animals now become uh, sanctified. So now he loses ownership of both animals. They both have to go to be sacrifices. Yeah. Even though a person had all the right intentions and he says, Oh, I want to dedicate a sacrifice. I want to dedicate this animal to be a sacrifice. So he's, his heart's in the right place. He may regret it. He may take it back. No, 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 no. no. I spoke too soon. That was, well, that was way too too religious, too religious. I, 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 baby steps. I got to slow down. Okay. What's the only solution how to deal with this? He's got to turn over his tefillah to somebody else. Because otherwise, he may talk himself out of it at the last minute you know you know i I know what I wrote on the invitation, but it's just it's too intense <laughs> this way it's done you already signed over the check to somebody else it's done now it's not yours anymore so yeah it's very interesting the 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 example here of Tmura. the Namam actually makes that statement that the mitzvah, and it's interesting because with the chachamim, with rabbinical enactments they're all psychological, or many of them are psychological like I mean just to give an example like, like har chokas, like the distance that a couple has to have during certain times of the month like that's all based on psychology that chazal understand what Types of behaviors would bring too much familiarity, which would cause a problem, or, or even things like you know, two people sitting at the same table, one's eating meat and one's eating milk, and like, are they allowed to uh, eat at the same table with the same tablecloth, or does one have to have a placemat? Like, what's this based on? This is based on Chazal understanding human psychology and making enactments based on that understanding. But Talmud is actually biblical, and the Rambam saying that in Torah itself, that mitzvah is a reflection of Toito's understanding of human psychology and precisely the phenomenon that a person may begin with the loftiest of intentions and then talk himself out of it. So this is what the Rebbe says, that you may want to bench your son with the loftiest, most spiritual brachas, but you're not sure you're going to have the guts to go through with it So you give it over to somebody else. Let's continue. You give it over to an Ishacher, somebody else. Someone who's not the person himself, not the father of the bar mitzvah. But he's best of both worlds. He's not you, but he wants what's best for you. Then that person is going to have the right speech and the right intention. And by the way, the Rebbe says, this phenomenon has many examples also in Nigla, in the revealed legalistic portions of Torah. The Rebbe gave examples before, the first point, the point about needing to be articulate and specific. The Rebbe said, tefillah is the primary example, but also there's the heter iska. <clears throat> and over here, the second point, base, point base, point, uh, the second uh, point, the idea of Avoiding the uh targeting by giving it over to somebody else, and the example of uh, of people sort of balking at their own initial lofty intentions. So that that's the primary examples from Tmura, But uh, the Rebbe says there's many examples in Nigleva. And he, Masha one of them. One example, there are many examples, but one example is from Nidorim Chof Aleph Omed Aleph, from the, the Gemara Nidorim, which is about vows. Nidorim means vows. Amalahem, they say, or rather, he said to them, this is speaking about Meshe when he made the entire Jewish nation swear in the plains of Mayav, in the 40th year in the wilderness, that they would upkeep the entire Torah. So he, Meishu Rabbeinu, said to them, You have to know, ani When I'm administering this oath to you, it's not based on your understanding of what the oath means, but rather on my understanding. You're agreeing that it means what I say it means, not whatever you think it means. Das and on, an, means what Hashem thinks it means in other words we have an example here from the gemara where a person can agree to something that he himself doesn't understand but he knows that someone else understands and he defers to that other person's understanding okay gimel guys ready for gimmo? a new point not about the mentioning of the rabbit but apparently about mentioning the word chassid. he says you you commented like why do we why does bench give a a, a A blessing or ask his Friends and family to give a blessing to his son That he should Be a chassid Why a specific path in Vedas Hashem Why not just say that he should serve Hashem There are many legitimate Paths in the service of Hashem So why be specific That he's going to be Hasidic Why does that have to be I'm sorry With all due respect it's not so, that that, what, that your suggestion is not correct. I told you already at the beginning. You see, with Chazal that they made blessings as specific as possible. And in fact. They would have gotten even more specific, but the Anche Knesses were compiling prayer for all Yidden, so they left it at a certain point. They didn't get more specific because it had to be something universal for all Jews. The canal, and even there, you see that it's very, very detailed. So, excuse me, but. If somebody wants to get specific, not only about his son doing Hashem's will, but he wants to articulate which path in the service of Hashem his son should do to do Hashem's will, that's actually very much in keeping with the whole spirit of davening. Ein Rambam Hilchestfila, Perik Aleph, UPerik Vav. And as I mentioned, that was yesterday's Rambam. And. Uh, also, in a couple days, we'll be on Pedagvav of Hilchas And it, over there, it explains that idea, that Tfilah should be as specific as possible. Okay. Now, I want to be frank with you. I wasn't even sure if I should answer your questions. Very important, I think, to learn from this. Not only that the Rebbe wasn't sure whether or not to answer the questions, but the Rebbe told the person that he wasn't sure whether or not to answer the questions. Why was the Rebbe not sure? Keven shiladevenu or devenenu. Unfortunately, it's always been this way, but especially nowadays, there are many people who come up with questions, especially if it's about something that's new to them, they're not used to, when they ask themselves why are they slipping out of it they see something mm, that's new maybe it's a good thing mm, well hold on for a second I don't do it and if it's a good thing and I don't want to do it mm, okay no it's not a good thing the easiest answer for them who is to say to question it. In other words, that Deba says like this, I'm not accusing you of having this intention, but I'm just telling you that it's very common that people will come to you with questions about a certain practice when the questions are not sincere. Really, they constructed the questions for themselves to make themselves comfortable with why they're not doing this thing that they saw somebody else doing. And if that's how the question came about, then there's really not a lot of point in answering it. Yeah. Because the gates of questions were not closed. You know, it says that... (laughs) Uh, it's an interesting uh, expression here. But, uh, the gates of tears. It says that even though the gates of prayer were closed, but the gates of, of tears, if a person genuinely cries, so the gates of tears are always open. So, <laughs> the ever says, the gates of questions are always open. In other words, it's always an accessible go-to excuse when you're exposed to something and it may be something good, but you can't live with the fact that it's good, but you're not doing it or you haven't been doing it. So you just come up with a bunch of questions and then you have the perfect excuse. Oh, that's why I don't do it. And that's why I'm not going to do it. So the Rebbe says the gates of questions are never closed. I love that expression. By the way, uh, you know, Stephen Wright said that he went to the 24-hour grocery, and he walks up, and he sees the worker there locking the doors. He says, what are you doing? He says, I'm locking up. He says, but your sign says open 24 hours. The worker says, yeah, not in a row. <laughs> okay, there you go. Um uh, makira, <laughs> but since I don't know you personally, I'm going to assume that you have that you have honest intentions. You, you only mean well. You're asking for real. You're not trying to just wriggle out of your own obligation. You're just asking about something you've never encountered in anyone's letters before. You got this Bar Mitzvah invitation. You looked at it like, oh, that's new. I never saw that before. I never encountered that before. Uh, I wonder what's going on. So I'm going to chalk it up to sincerity. You're just not used to it. And so that's why you question it. Even though the Rebbe adds, there are so many examples of such a thing. I just love that thing. Like, I get it. It was new to you. It was unfamiliar. Even though there are many examples of it, like we just explained at length in this letter, like the Rebbe went on at length, explained there. You're not familiar with this? In all the different examples that the that Rebbe gave. Remember this letter is from the middle of Chedish Adar, so it's a month before Pesach. It's a little less than a month from Pesach, so the Rebbe says blessings for... Uh, Happy and uh, kosher uh, Pesach. <Nichter> here's the PS. It's understood if you have any comments on what I've written to you. So I'd be very interested to read them. And I'm going to try to answer you. I don't know if Harav Sternbuch wrote back to the Rebbe. Uh, I don't know. Haara. A comment, a little note. I want you to know, says the Rebbe, that I was very precise in the examples that I chose when making my point. Because the Rebbe said there are, it's become a Mekhemesh, there are many places that the Rebbe could have drawn from to make his point. But the Rebbe says, I want you to know, I precisely chose these examples. Why? Example I gave about a shvua, about about an oath that a person is administering an oath, and they tell him, the oath doesn't mean what you think it means. You're agreeing that you're promising to do whatever we think it means, what our intention is, right? So I use the example of an oath. Because really what's an oath? It's the whole idea of undertaking the obligation of being being sworn to uphold the Torah, which is the whole idea of a bar mitzvah. And after all, this whole correspondence started because of a bar mitzvah invitation. When someone becomes a bar mitzvah or a child of the commandments or a son of the commandments, he becomes he's now continuously duty-bound. Or rather, it, it falls upon him the duty now to uphold that which he was continuously duty-bound to do from the collective oath at Harsinai. But until he's 13, he's not accountable for that. But the, the, the obligation originates with the, uh, with the oath at Harsinai, at uh, the Revelation at Sinai uh and then there was something else yeah and then the the kavana oh the the purpose of this so the Bar mitzvah is now personally obligated to live up to that which the Jewish people swore to uphold at Har Sinai. And the purpose of the Jewish people upholding the Torah is what? The purpose of the Jewish people upholding the Torah is what? To compound interest in a permissible manner of the mechanism of an investment. Really? What does that mean? He says, There's a Maimer from my father-in-law with the Dibra Tuama Kitav which are words from the Aishashail. It's a mimer from Tufshin from tough, from, tough shintess, from from 50 709, 1949. And over there, the Feudeket Rebbe, the his father-in-law, explains that the entire purpose of the soul coming to the world is to accrue interest, that Hashem is the investor. And he gives koiches, he gives powers to the soul. It's not a loan. It's a deposit. It's an investment. And that both the Jew and Hashem end up profiting in this investment because all of the mitzvahs that the Jew does while he's embodied down here create additional new lights in the higher realms which benefit both him and Hashem. So the Rebbe says I chose those examples an oath and the uh, the, the 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 mechanism for loaning not loaning but investing Uh, because that really is what a bar mitzvah is all about. It's about a Jew becoming an adult and being duty-bound to uphold the oath of the Jewish people. And the purpose of that oath is to come down into the world, to do mitzvahs in a body, which end up creating new lights, creating a profit based on the investment of energies that Hashem put into that individual Jew. I also included here a copy of my michtav Kloli that Rabbi used to write a number of times a year, a general letter, a pastoral letter, which was addressed to all Jewish people. So it's coming up close to Pesach already. There was already a michtav Kloli. that Rabbi says, I'm including that along with my personal letter to you. Ashebetach. And I'm sure that you will be interested in the Mikhtov Klali. And that is the end of tonight's letter. Again, we want to wish a shleima, kreva to Ravagon, Reb Meisha ben Dveira. And uh, this should be in his chus. And Mirza uh, Hashem. We will continue with our study of igris next week for uh, letter three in our series. Thank you so much. Thanks, Deborah. Good night.